Summer drinking season is long, which is why non-alcoholic beer is a great addition to your cooler. But what makes you reach for one NA beer over another? Is it great flavor, variety of styles? Maybe you just like a cool can. Well, no matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor, it's athletic. Award-winning styles, it's athletic. Huge variety, guess what? It's athletic. From IPAs, extra dark, sours, hazies, and more, to summertime favorites like light brews and goldens, it's the number one NA beer brand in the U.S. It's athletic. Ask for it. Fit for all times. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Think about it. You're hanging out at the beach. Maybe you're going to a music festival, ball game, camping, late night, early morning. Wherever the summer takes you, the best part is zero hangover the next day. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. Yes, I am not flying solo on this Sunday, and I could not be more grateful to have Al here to share the screen with me. Uh, Al, how are you doing today? Uh, very good. Yeah, very, uh, very honored to share the screen with you, DVR. Looking forward to talking about uh, the week ahead. Now, I did uh, try something different last week on my own, and I feel like it worked pretty well. I took the starting pitcher grade from our friends at Rotowire and put that on the screen in the background while kind of going through team by team. I think because it's this time of year where you're either playing for a fantasy championship or you're starting to think about next season, I think that kind of finds a way to walk between those two worlds and, and helps everybody simultaneously because we can pull on some threads for interesting players for the future while also highlighting the players that could be available who have good matchups that could actually help us for the final two weeks of the season. I can't believe we've got one more fab run after today and then this 2021 season will come to an end the following week. So we have made it. It's been a busy year for me and you, to say the least. Both of us made cross-country moves during this season. So it's felt like a, a season that's lasted about two years in some moments. <laughs> then in other moments, it's felt like a season that's lasted about eight weeks. So I don't know what to make of that. But uh, let's get to it. I'm going to get the grid up on the screen if you're watching us on YouTube this morning. And we're just going to go team by team. That's not the screen I wanted. I wanted that one. There, there we go. go. Yeah, I don't need to make me bigger on video. That's no good at all. Starting at the top, uh, Diamondbacks have a couple of tough matchups. They're home, but they're facing two teams that are going to the playoffs in Atlanta and the Dodgers. You got Luke Weaver and Merrill Kelly with two start weeks. I would say they fall into the... My ratios don't matter, and I just need counting stats group, and you know that's fine. You want to throw them out there in that situation? That's probably the only way I could talk myself into using either of those two guys this week. Uh, agreed, and uh, if I'm just needing one starter to fill that need, uh, I'm going with Kelly. I just don't uh, have much trust in, in Luke Weaver uh, at this point. 
And I wonder with uh, Zach Gallon, who only has one start this week, it's the home start against the Dodgers, if he ends up out of lineups. It's been a rough year for him. He's 2-10. and 10. He's got the 444 ERA. Uh, I think he's still probably a top 100 overall pick or very close to it going into next season because there was so much buzz on him really coming through the last two seasons now. Uh, but I think as far as this week goes, I think you could pretty easily justify throwing a lesser pitcher in a much easier matchup if ratios do in fact matter for you at this point in the season. I I tend to agree with that. Um, I, I do think that Gallon uh, has probably gotten a little bit of a raw deal um, because, uh, and I should actually check this while while we're talking here because I haven't looked at it in a few weeks to be honest. But I know last time I did a deep dive and and you know was trying to answer the what happened to Zach Gallon this year question. Uh, a lot of it was just strand rate, like a, uh, a lot of the peripherals that we actually you know care more about um, were all right. But yeah, no, the strand rate is normalized. So, uh, yeah, not sure exactly. Yeah, yeah, the walk rate is up. So, yeah, I think that uh, it is a legitimately somewhat down season for, for Gallon and definitely not uh, winding up the year in must-start territory. Yeah, looking ahead to the following week, last week of the season, he'll be on the road at San Francisco, another team that that game could still matter as they're trying to hold on to the NL West and, and keep the Dodgers playing in that wild card game. So it doesn't really get much easier for him at the end of the season either. Let's move on to Atlanta. you got Tuki Toussaint and Wasker Enoa both making two starts this week. If there's any shadow leagues where Enoa is available, I'm definitely in on him. It's at Arizona, at San Diego. The Padres during their slide have really struggled to score runs. They're just one of those teams that I thought coming into the season we would be very careful with with a lot of our matchups. At this point, I throw a lot more pitchers against them than I expected to. I think with Tukey, it's it's more of a question. I mean, if you look at his overall body of work, I think I talked about this last week, but to pull up his game log, it's been a pretty bumpy ride for him. Even though he's been good in the second half of the season, you can see four innings last time out in a home matchup against the Rockies. That was a good spot where he should have been able to go a little deeper into that game. Three innings each of the two starts before that. Uh, so I think there's quite a bit of risk there. I don't think he's a must-use two-star pitcher, but I do think he's viable because these matchups are very soft. Yeah, but, you know, I do feel like he should have done better with that start against the Rockies. So I'm not at the point, you know, in the second last week of the season here where I'm just ready to go to that as a default with Toussaint. Um, there, there's a lot, of better op, uh, a lot of better options this week. So it, it really, I think that's kind of a deep league option where, Somehow, if he's available, maybe I would consider Toussaint. But yeah, I, I'm I'm not really as interested in him as, as it sounds like you are. Yeah, it's bottom of the list interest in terms of two start week guys. If you're just looking for bulk because of the concerns that he only goes four both times and gets you eight innings, no wins, and maybe bangs up the ratios a little bit on the way. Uh, for the Orioles, I, I say this almost every time I look at their rotation. Not much here other than John Means to get excited about. I do see the numbers from Chris Ellis. I, I just, I don't, I don't believe in him. Uh, he's 28. We've seen him bounce around the league a little bit. It's been a, I mean, there's, there's not really like a recent prolonged run of success that I can trust. If I'm looking back through 2019, he's been in the PCL or the International League or the leagues formerly known as the PCL and the International League for most of that time. And it's been ugly. There have been strikeouts there, but there's a major home run issue. I just feel like there has to be some sort of correction coming, even though the results so far this season in limited innings have been pretty good. 
Yeah, and I'm with you there. Uh, and just in general, uh, if I see a Baltimore pitcher coming up uh, and his name is not John Means, <laughs> I just keep moving along. Moving on to Boston, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. I've seen him dropped in a decent number of leagues. The underlying numbers are still good in terms of the strikeout rate, the walk rate. Home run rate's not terrible. It's two home starts, one against the Mets, one against the Yankees. You know, Comparing him to the likes of Tukey and uh, Luke Weaver and some of the other two-star pitchers that have come up so far, I like Erod a lot more. I think Erod versus Wasker Enoa is a bit of a toss-up, but I'd rather have Enoa because the matchups are just a lot easier, even though Erod gets the pitch at home. So there might be some shallow leagues where Erod's out there. Don't need to go into too much detail because that's a short list of leagues where he's actually out there. Uh, someone who would be more available, though, is Alec Mills for the Cubs. You can see a two-start week for him, home against the Twins, home against the Cardinals. I actually liked Mills a little bit. I spent a lot of time with Eno Saris, so maybe that's part of the reason why I was buying in. He, he was a big Mills guy coming into the season. Twins, nothing to worry about there. I think it's a great matchup. St. Louis, it's still not an offense that scares you, even though they've been winning a lot lately. They're doing it with good pitching and great defense, and they have a few guys hitting, but not a lineup top to bottom that is unstoppable. How do you feel about Mills in this two-star week? I feel pretty good. Yeah, I like those matchups a lot. I think you absolutely nailed the assessment of the Cardinals. Um, they're not, even though they're the tougher of the two matchups, it's not a, a matchup that makes you... Uh, stray away from whoever gets them. So it's a pretty good two-step. And yeah, give, given the options, uh, definitely somebody that uh, you should be considering if he's available. I think we're on to our fourth or fifth mention of Vladimir Gutierrez for Cincinnati. He's got the Pirates and the Nationals both at home. That is a really nice two-step. Obviously, great American ballpark, boosts home runs. We all know that. Uh, but as far as NL matchups go, not a bad combination. It's been uh, kind of a disappointing stretch for him, kind of like Tuki Toussaint, though, where you've got a bunch of outings recently where he's failed to even get through four innings. Three and two-thirds last time out against Pittsburgh, a three-and-a-third inning appearance against the Tigers in early September, a three-inning road appearance against the Marlins. Those were easy spots where he really fell short. So do you trust them enough to try him against the Pirates and the Nationals? I'm honestly not really. I mean, if I'm forced somehow for some reason to choose between Gutierrez and Tucson, I will go Gutierrez. And I think that that Pirates matchup is probably along with uh, the Angels, just uh, the best matchup right now that you could have. Nationals seem like they should be an easy matchup, but they've you know actually been hitting pretty well for a while. So uh, I think there's a little bit of risk in this one, probably a, a similar amount to what uh, Mills has, but uh, Mills is, is clearly preferable here uh, given the recent track record that you pointed out for Gutierrez. Yeah, I, I would say the Mills range of your two-star pitching ranks and preferences is exactly where Gutierrez belongs. That's a good call. Uh, looking at Cleveland, Tristan McKenzie, who has been snapped up in most leagues at some point earlier in the second half, gets a two-start week. He's got the Royals. He's got the White Sox. He's got both at home. It could be a point where the White Sox are actually resting a few people later on in the week, so I, I think that could be an easier matchup than it appears to be on paper. If there's a shallow league where he's still out there, I don't think we have any arguments against him at this point. I think it's uh, interesting that there might be a, a, a Price closer to what he was going for last season when we look ahead to 2022 drafts on McKenzie. I think he ended up kind of in that 150 to 175 overall range in a lot of drafts by the, the end of draft season. There's a chance he goes even a little higher than that, but definitely a guy that has shown us about as much as any pitcher over the course of the second half of the season. 
Yeah, if that's the range that McKenzie is going in next year, there's a very good chance that I will have McKenzie on a lot of teams because <laughs> I think <laughs> he's uh, really worth worth more than that the way that he's uh, finished up the season. Yeah, and I think there's there's Cal Quantrill there. He's long gone in most leagues too. He's the only other Cleveland starter that I think is going to get a, a massive bump in terms of uh, ADP from this year to next year. I think you know Plesac's probably going to slide a little bit. Savali, because he was hurt, will probably slide a little bit. Beaver, because he was hurt, will slide a little bit. But I, I could see Quantrill taking a pretty big leap. A nice home start for him against the Royals if he picked him up a few weeks ago. Rockies are at home this week. I think that's pretty much the the brunt of the analysis that needs to be done there. So it's Antonio Senzatella getting two starts against the Dodgers and Giants. That's awesome. That's exactly what you want. You want to face two great offenses in Coors who both need to win every game down the stretch. That is that is great for Antonio Senzatella. <laughs> It's going to be a real, uh, you know, what, a movable object against irresistible force kind of matchup, which I know sounds weird because we're talking about Antonio Sensatella and and the reputation that precedes him. But every time his turn comes up uh, on Fantasy Baseball in 15, we're talking about him the day before and the day uh, or the day after because um, he's he's been really consistently good for about two and a half months now. And it, it doesn't matter, you know, what the matchup is, home or away. But yeah, the skills profile still gives you a lot of pause. And I'll admit, I do not have the guts or whatever noun you think is appropriate there to uh, <laughs> to go with him at this two-step, even though he's proven himself uh, you know, every, every start along the way. Yeah, I have absolutely no interest in throwing him out there. Uh, I described the ratios don't matter situation a little earlier. If you're one of those, you just need innings. Well, he'll get innings. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you want the quality of those innings on your on your ledger, but you can, you can take the chance if you really feel like it. But yeah, bad spots for Antonio Senzatella, to say the least. Uh, Carlos Rodon has a two-step, probably been scooped back up in most leagues by now. At the Tigers, at Cleveland, really good spots for him. Dallas Keuchel, who I think has been on and off Shadow League rosters throughout the season, also gets those matchups. Uh, what is your interest and trust level in Keuchel at this point in the season with an ERA sitting above five? Yeah, it's pretty much non-existent. And those are... Decent matchup. Now, the Tigers have hit well in the second half, so uh, there's certainly not a, a good matchup by any means, but Cleveland's not hit well of late. So I think, you know, in combination, a different pitcher, you would you would take those matchups. But, uh, yeah, Keuchel's really, it's kind of mystified me how he hasn't sort of dropped off of more rosters uh, given the, the level of performance. But, uh, yeah, definitely if you've got them, don't, don't use them this week. <laughs> I've been duped longer than I should have been in a league where I was really just chasing wins. I also thought just, hey, look, the White Sox score runs. Yeah, This is a crafty veteran type. Maybe he'll get the ERA down under four for the rest of the season and it ends up being like a 440 ERA. I thought this back in July and August, and no, this is this is not happening. Uh, but this is a good spot for him. So if you're desperate for innings, I actually like him a little more than I would most weeks. Tigers have been pesky, though. They have not mm-hmm. been a pushover team whatsoever in the final two months of the season. I expect them to be a much easier matchup. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez is still out there, and I want to put this on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Rough outing for him in a great spot against the Angels, as you can see here. I recommended him on the show last week because I thought the Angels offense has almost nothing to fear. It is Shohei Otani and then a cast of hitters that you would gladly throw a pitcher against Jared Walsh, probably the other exception there. But he got knocked around. Defense behind him wasn't great. Did get you 7Ks, but it was at a a steep price with six earned over four innings. I'm willing to go back to the well with 
Lopez here. I think he's looked a lot better in the second half of the season. This is one of the best versions of him that we've seen. So I think if he's still out there, despite getting knocked around last time out, I'm in in this road matchup against the Tigers. I am too. I think I'm just going to chalk that up to just one of those starts. Uh, you know, I just think about how... Uh, a couple years back, the Marlins always seemed to get to Steven Strasburg. It was just inexplicable. Uh, so it's just one of those things. And the, the larger body of work has been pretty impressive in the second half. Let's move on to the Tigers, where I think most of the interest is probably with Matt Manning. We could see he's got a two-start week. He's home against the White Sox, home against the Royals. I think in the case of like Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal, Mize gets the White Sox at home. Skubal gets the Royals at home. You're probably handling them similar to the way you ordinarily would in most weekly situations. Manning has been all over the place. I mean, a 575 ERA, a 153 whip. Strikeouts haven't been there either. That's the biggest concern for me. If the ratios were bad and the K rate was good, I would say, okay, this is a young pitcher finding his way. But Matt Manning seems a little more lost than I'd like him to be. Now, he just threw six innings of one-run ball against a Brewers team that will likely win the NL Central that could make a deep playoff run. So, you know, it's a classic. You can't predict baseball sort of start and nothing else. But you do see, looking at the game log, some other six-inning starts kind of sprinkled in. So it's a complete lack of consistency. I'm just curious what you think about Manning, not only for this week, but is he someone that you like at a discount going into 2022, given the pedigree? Yeah, well, I don't like Manning this week at all just because, as you, you know, laid out for us, you have no idea what you're getting. Uh, it could do great against the White Sox and blow up against the Royals. You know, you've really, it, there's there's no predicting uh, given what he's done this year. But he's been so much better than I thought he would be given the minor league numbers for Manning. I mean, it was, it was very weird when he got called up. Um, so he's done better. And particularly of late, the last four starts or so have been pretty solid. So I, that's not enough for me to trust him with a season on the line this week or next week. But I am very interested in him uh, for next year. I think he's definitely a Dynasty League keeper and uh, probably not looking to take him in 12-teamers, but 14-15 team, I'd be happy to get him with a late pick, and I would expect he'd, he'd still be there. Yeah, I think he's going to fall quite a bit because the numbers just look bad kind of all over the place. <laughs> Moving on to Houston, I think this is a group of pitchers that's largely rostered everywhere. If there's a league where Jose Urquidy still hasn't been picked back up since he came back a couple weeks ago, love that matchup against the Angels. Maybe Jake Odorizzi has been dropped out there too because he hasn't been pitching that deep into his starts. At Oakland would be a place where I feel pretty good about him. Um, I just don't feel all that confident in the workload unless the Astros have a lead. If they have a big lead, they'll let them pitch. If they don't have a big lead, they're going to go to the bullpen. So, Kind of a, a risky, useful streamer, but not a must-use sort of streamer, I think is the way I would describe Jake Odorizzi at this point. Uh, at the Royals, this happens a lot this time of year. I look through this starter grid, and I see names that I've actually never seen before. <laughs> yeah. which, of the, which of these names do you think is the one I've never seen before? Uh, oh, John uh, John Heasley, for sure. John Heasley, yeah. I, I saw John Heasley on here, and I'm like, who is John Heasley? Well, let's uh, let's take a look at John Heasley for a moment. <laughs> He's actually pitched really well uh, at Double A so far this season, working as a starter. You can see the 3.33 ERA, the 1.23 WHIP, 120 Ks in 105 in the third innings. A bit of a home run problem. 18 homers is a lot, and he's 24, so he's not young for the level, but I don't know. I think when you account for the pandemic year, it's not an embarrassing age to level situation. I just 
don't know if there's anything in this profile that we're going to feel good about, uh, especially with seasons hanging in the balance at Cleveland. I mean, it's possible that he goes out there and goes five and gets you a win. That could be a, a toss-up for a win at the very least, but uh, not a guy that I have a lot of faith in since I didn't know who he was prior to this weekend. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not alone in that because I think it was yesterday I was looking at the grid and, you know, or maybe it was even the box score for his debut because he must have been called up to uh, replace Brady Singer. And uh, yeah, same reaction. But yeah, pretty pretty good numbers overall at double A and a, a very nice matchup. So I'd feel pretty good if I had a hole in my ale only rotation. Uh, I think he'd probably be out there at this point, uh, but that's the extent of it for me. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't worry. If it sounds like there's a lot of guys we're lukewarm on, there's a few more pitchers that we actually like that are coming up in the bottom half of the grid. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's move on to the Angels. Jaime Maria gets two starts. The first one is against Houston. That takes away so much appeal because I think Berea needs great matchups for me to be interested in him anyway. This is a cast of characters that I have very little interest in right now. This Angels rotation, you know, Cobb is acceptable. Shohei Otani is amazing and has been obviously rostered all season long, but the other day, I guess Jose Suarez is probably the other Angel starter that would ordinarily be useful. You're not using him at home against Houston, but you could have him stashed or on your radar for next week for a road start against Texas. That will be his last outing of the season. I would use Suarez there. I think I would even use Alex Cobb there, even though I'm not interested in them this week. I, I'm i probably going to start Cobb this week. I just To me, he's with him coming off of the aisle and having a very good start right away uh, out of the gate. Um, I obviously it's it's not an ideal matchup to put it lightly, but I just have trust in Alex Cobb regardless of the of the opponent. So um, yeah, it, it, certainly in any league that uh, that leans a little bit deeper, I'm fine with Cobb this week. We move on to a loaded Dodgers rotation, but there's not a lot of opportunity other than potentially Tony Gonsolin. He's on the road against Arizona. Great spot there. You know, you look at where he's at though. A lot of shorter outings, right? You're not guaranteed to get that five innings. Like he went five last time out against Arizona and pitched really well. So I think you got to be very careful. They could need him in the bullpen before that outing. Um, I, I'm not going to necessarily bid more than like the minimum to get him. And I think there's a lot of other pitchers that we're going to see that are just a little more stable with how they're going to be used. Yeah, um, Gonsolin's pretty much a last resort for me. Uh, the matchup is pretty much what what keeps him under consideration. But uh, if I've got a choice between him and Jake Odorizzi, I'm definitely go to, going Odorizzi. 
Okay. Yeah, that's that's probably about the level that Gonsolin's at, given the way the Astros have handled Odorizzi so far this season. Uh, the Marlins rotation, not a lot of opportunities there either, unless you're in a league where Jesus Lazardo is on again, off again on rosters. Two-start week for him. We've talked about a few guys that have uh, not only bumpy 2021 track records, but you know, reasonably difficult weeks. This one's kind of more in the middle in terms of difficulty because the Nationals, while, as you said, they are hitting a bit more than expected, they probably shouldn't hit more than expected. Like they, they should come down a little bit here in the final two weeks. I don't know if I have a ton of faith in that offense. So Lizardo gets Washington at home, but he has to go on the road to Tampa Bay. Where are you at on Jesus Lizardo at this point? I think if there were some options that uh, I didn't feel more secure about, and as you you know alluded to a little while ago, there are some more towards the the tail end of the uh, the alphabetical order here that I know I'm certainly more excited about. If those pitchers didn't have the two steps they have this week, I think I'd be willing to give it a whirl with Lazardo. But the the Nationals matchup is is the easier of the two. I think if it were the harder of the two, uh, I might be willing to take the risk. But between the inconsistency and the fact that uh, there's no really easy matchup here for Luzardo. Um, I'm, I'm, it's really a last resort for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, moving on to Milwaukee, where I think the waiver wire appeal would be in Eric Lauer and probably Aaron Ashby, too. I think here's the other problem with Ashby. It's an inconsistent workload. I mean, we saw him go five way back on August 29th against the Twins. It's a lot of two- and three-inning outings since then. He's been fantastic, and I think he's the kind of guy that could have a role to himself in the rotation going into 2022. But as far as these final weeks of this season go, he's more of a glue guy, and you're almost hoping he comes out of the pen because that at least increases the chances of getting a win in relief. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Between him and Lauer, I'm definitely more interested in Lauer. I like the Mets as a matchup, and I just like the consistency that Lauer has had, uh, you know, sort of uh, Sensatella-like consistency in the second half. And I do mean that in a good way. Uh, Adrian Hauser is out there in more leagues than I would have thought. And as we alluded to earlier, the Cardinals are not not really too tough of a matchup. So I think if I were to rank order the three, I'd actually go Lauer, uh, Hauser, and then Ashby. Right. I think you have to do it just based on usage, even though Ashby could be the best of those three yeah. pitchers easily from a skill standpoint. And that's not even really a knock at what Lauer's been doing. It's more just praise for Ashby at this point. The Twins have been a good source of streaming in the last couple of weeks. That is not the case as much this week. They do have the Cubs on the road for a two-game set. But it's Charlie Barnes and Griffin Jacks. I don't know if I want to throw either one of those guys against anybody at this stage of the season. I guess if you said you have to pick one, Griffin Jacks would be the choice. But the rest of the week, it's a four-game series at home against the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are going to be scrapping to get into the playoffs of one of those AL wild cards. So Michael Pineda, yeah, maybe you throw him because you have to. But guys like Bailey Ober and Joe Ryan, who I actually do like quite a bit, are not not at all in my plans for this week. Yeah, I'm with you uh, on both of them. So, yeah, it's not a good week to try to be starting any of the Twins uh, starters. Looking at the Mets, you get the matchup against Boston for Stroman and Tyler McGill. I would try to avoid McGill in that spot. I think Chris Sale's supposed to be going on the other side, too. So win probability takes a massive hit in that appearance. They catch the Brewers on the road at the end of the week. I know Carlos Carrasco has been dropped in a decent number of leagues. I'm lukewarm on him in this spot, Al. I think Rich Hill in leagues where he's available, and it seems like he's available more often than he should be. He's the guy that I actually like a little bit better of those weekend matchups 
between Carrasco and Hill. I assume Taiwan Walker is gone pretty much everywhere, so he's not really a part of the, the conversation. Yeah, and just, you know, if, if you could just draft a, a team <laughs> uh, with anybody, uh, you know, just uh, they'd all be available. I actually prefer Hill over Walker just because of the recent string of performances. So, uh, and Hill obviously more available in the real world. So uh, I think he's a good pickup. Probably aren't going to find much in terms of these Yankees available on the wire. Nestor Cortez could still be out there in really shallow leagues. Home against Texas, road against Boston. That second start, obviously very tough, but that first one is so good that I would strongly consider picking him up if I was looking for volume. Jordan Montgomery pitching really well. I've got that ERA in the mid-threes now, which, geez, back in June seemed like that was going to be impossible based on how his first half was shaping up. Maybe Corey Kluber's out there in a few leagues, too, since he was gone for so long. There's a chance he was dropped and, and not picked back up, but generally I think of this group as heavily rostered. Yeah, but uh, Cortez, as I, I wrote in the latest this, uh, next week in Fantasy Baseball, just do yourself a favor and make double sure that Cortez uh, isn't available because I was very surprised at his roster rates going into the weekend. 50% on both ESPN and on Yahoo and CBS, I think it was 66%. So it's a lot of leagues where Cortez is out there to be picked up. Yeah, it really is. Uh, moving on to Oakland, you know, Sean Manaya has got a two-start week rostered, of course, home against Seattle, home against Houston, probably using him in most situations for those two starts. Uh, Paul Blackburn's a guy that I'm never on board with. Home against Seattle's a decent matchup, but I really don't want to do it. Cole Irvin, I think I would probably throw in that spot. James Caprillion, yes, I think I'd throw him there too, but definitely legitimate hesitation in my, in my wanting to do that. You know, Frankie Montas against the Astros, I think he's pitched well enough where you're probably using him in that spot, and then you got Chris Bassett, I think, lined up possibly to go on Sunday, which is, you know, that's amazing, right? I mean, thinking about what he's been through, like he might actually pitch again before this season is over. That's incredible. So cool. Uh, uh, so uh, I was shocked to hear you say that you'd start Irvin because I consider you to be the the ultimate Cole Irvin detractor. <laughs> I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't start him. Maybe if it was in Seattle, I, I probably would if it were in Seattle, but... Um, I, I cannot figure Cole Irvin out. He's been up, he's been down, but for the most part, and especially of late, um, the the whiffs just haven't been there for him. And I don't see any kind of countervailing thing, I guess, other than he doesn't walk very many batters, but I don't see anything that just makes me think, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to be able to trust him with the amount of contact that he's allowing. So I, I would kind of put him right in the same category with Paul Blackburn, to be honest with you. And I probably wouldn't start Caprillion either. Uh, I probably would if it were in Seattle, but I think in Oakland, even though that ballpark is favor, favorable, uh, that the Mariners uh, hit pretty decently on the road and with Caprillion really struggling lately, I think I'd, I'd look for a safer option if I could. Yeah, he made the layup against the Angels on Saturday, six scoreless, five Ks, but a bumpy track record before that with... Uh, three consecutive starts going four innings or less against the Rangers, White Sox, and Tigers. The pesky Tigers. Every time you look at a pitcher, a mid-range pitcher whose game log is less inspiring than it should be, usually you find the Tigers on the other side of that somewhere because they have been a thorn in the sides of everyone trying to stream here over the last few weeks. Yeah, it's weird to be more optimistic about Cole Irvin than anybody. That's a <laughs> terrible position. I don't know how I put myself there. Uh, let's look at Philadelphia for a moment. Ranger Suarez, who has been mentioned at least a few times on these Sunday pods. 
I'm baffled that he's this good. It's home against the Orioles, home against the Pirates. This is one of the best two-start matchups available on the wire in some leagues. How is he doing this? How is he pitching this well with the move back into the rotation? Well, at least lately, I can't really speak for the initial starts that he made. I mean, I, I've liked him uh, and have wanted him to to get into the starting role just because of all the grounders he gets and, and how well that would play in Philadelphia. But um, I think it's a combination of the schedule and the fact that he is not throwing as many sinkers lately. So he's giving you a little bit more of that strikeout appeal. But uh, I noted a couple weeks back that Suarez just had this incredible schedule to finish up the season, and he's just plowing right through it. So, of course, these two starts are, are a part of that. And I see no reason to, to stray at all from Suarez if he is somehow still out there. He is a must-add, must-start. Yeah, and he's going to get Miami on the road in the final week of the season, too. So, as you said, a great stretch for him. These last three could all be actually very good starts for him, even though he was... Not really on our radar, I don't know, six weeks ago as a guy that we'd be thinking about with seasons on the line. I uh, just pulled up the player card for Adonis Medina. Uh, he's getting a call from the Phillies. And looking at the numbers at Lehigh Valley, I can't talk myself into him. He's just been too inconsistent in the upper levels of the minor leagues. So uh, even though he's got the same matchups as Suarez, I think that's more of a desperation play than one that you're going to feel good about at this point in the season. I'm moving on to the Pirates. Dylan Peters at Cincinnati, at Philly. I generally don't like Dylan Peters. That's weird to say as someone who just gave Cole Irvin an endorsement. <laughs> but those are very hitter-friendly ballparks. Yeah. Uh, it's, I just I think those are matchups that you can pretty easily avoid. If he was catching both of those teams at home or even one of those matchups at PNC Park, maybe you could talk me into Dylan Peters. But I would say he's among the weaker of the two-star options for this week. I would too, and that's despite the fact that he's been much better than I would have expected since he's gotten called up and put into the Pirates rotation. So with a, a, a matchup a scenario more like Suarez's, I'd consider Peters, but yeah, not with those two starts. Looking at San Diego, not much to get excited about here. Amazing to see uh, two cast-offs in Vince Velasquez and Jake Arrieta in the rotation for this San Diego team. For all the pitching they've been trading for in the last Year and change, it's amazing. It's come down to this. And you get a bullpen game, it looks like, with Pierce Johnson on the schedule this week, too. Uh, Joe Musgrove gets a two-start week. Hugh Darvish gets Atlanta. Actually, I'm not sitting Darvish. I feel like I should say that. I, I would keep using Darvish as long as the Padres are using him, even though they're probably using him in desperation. Uh, I do think a lot of his struggles are probably health-related, but he's Hugh Darvish. He has lots of ways to attack opposing hitters, and I think I'm still in on him, at least as like a top 40 to 50 starter in his current state, even though it's been ugly for him, kind of going back to the late part of June. Uh, Seattle's a little bit more interesting because you've got Tyler Anderson making two starts. He's less rostered than I expect every time I check, so if you're in a 10-team league or something more thin, I think you could pick him up for the at Oakland, at LA combo, at LAA, that's Anaheim. I don't just, I hate the, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. If I had one thing that I could change about team uh, like location names, easily by far the worst. Like, I just, why? I think it's so bad it's good. Uh, I, I, I'm not there It's ridiculous. Yet. I just hate it. It just, <laughs> it just bothers me so much. Uh, you, see, you see a couple other names on here, though. Chris Flexen, we talk about him all the time. Usually I say don't use him, and he pitches well. He's got a 366 ERA. So if you've been using him when Al has said, hey, you should use Chris Flexen, you're much better off than uh, if you've ignored my advice or if you've followed my advice to keep throwing him out there. Uh, Logan Gilbert has hit a bumpy patch down the stretch, Al. I, I think he's going to be a really good starting pitcher. I mean, it's a, it's a good arsenal. 
He commands all of his pitches well. He's getting plenty of strikeouts, 115 Ks in 101 in the third inning so far. You take a look at the recent workloads. Yeah, you get this cluster of uh, starts where he's failed to go uh, even five innings. There's three consecutive starts at the end of August, but he went five against Houston on the 1st of September. He went six last time out in a pretty tough spot at home against Boston. I'm definitely in on Gilbert, given how easy that matchup should be against the Angels later on in the week. Yeah, there is no Mariners starter that I would say no to this week. Uh, I think they're all they're all usable. And uh, so now, finally, I I, I whiffed on uh, this with Gallon, but with Gilbert, you do have a, a legitimate uh, excuse me a legit uh, strand rate victim here. So <laughs> the the peripherals really have been very good for for Gilbert. I love these two start matchups uh, at Oakland at the Angels, Los Angeles, Angels of Anaheim. Uh, we've talked about the Angels just being so great to stream against. Oakland at home, have they have been one of the worst offenses in the majors. Huge discrepancy between how well they hit on the road and how well they hit at home. So I think uh, all four of these pitchers that get the A's in Oakland, uh, they're they're good to go. Uh, and then, yeah, Anderson and Gonzalez both get these uh, really incredible two steps. And Anderson in particular, uh, I see almost no risk there. Yeah, I think he's in a great spot this week, so definitely in on him. Uh, let's go to the Giants, where I think everybody here is mostly rostered. They do go on the road to Colorado during the weekend, so that is not ideal. So if you have Kevin Gossman and you want to get the at San Diego start in a weekly league, you're also taking an at Colorado. I assume that he's just above the line where you're planning on using him for the two-start week, Al. Yeah, maybe even a little more than just above. There's not really a question here for me with Gosman. Logan Webb at San Diego. Alex Wood at San Diego using those guys there. Uh, Anthony Descafani, not using him in Colorado. Nope. I, would, I would be very careful with that start. If you have any alternatives that are even decent, I think they would make more sense than risking uh, Descafani in that spot. St. Louis is a bit interesting just because this is a team playing really well. And as I mentioned earlier, elite defense a few pieces of the offense. Paul Goldschmidt's doing Goldschmidt things. Nolan Arenado is not on fire, but he's not playing at the typical Arenado levels like day-to-day during this recent surge. You know, Tommy Edmonds, part of the offensive uh, contributions they're getting right now that have been above an average sort of clip. But weird because I just don't think a lot of their pitchers are that good. I would say Lester is a guy I have almost no confidence in. He's got a two-star week at the Brewers. At the Cubs, it's the same matchups for Jake Woodford. The only thing I like better about Lester is I think there's a better chance of him maybe going like six innings in one or maybe both of those starts if it's going well. Woodford, I think, is going to be kind of a five-inning max sort of guy, but he has done it in an appearance against the Brewers. I think it was a bullpen appearance, if I'm not mistaken, the last time those teams met. But he has stepped into the rotation, and I think he's somewhat intriguing if I'm looking for some innings this week from a two-start, like widely available pitcher. That's interesting, yeah, because you know I saw his inclusion in the notes that that you put together, and Woodford was really not on my radar for this week, or really hasn't just been at all. But yet, I made Lester uh, the lead story <laughs> next week in fantasy baseball this week because it, taking a deeper look at how he's really done well over the last several starts, um, he's just getting a lot of really low grounders and. Those are being hit to those great infield defenders that you've been talking about. So I actually really like Lester this week. Now, it would depend on my team situation. I don't have a level of trust where if I'm trying to protect a lead or maybe if things are really close that I'm just going to say, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go all in with John Lester. But if I just need a little bit more of a, of a normal push for my my rotation than normal to, you know, to catch up, 
Uh, Lester is probably one of my favorite targets this week. I think there's yeah. a lot of upside there. And I don't think it's, I mean, most fab has been spent at this point. I don't think it's going to take a massive bid no. to get him because the surface numbers are absolutely brutal. Uh, the good defense is, is key with that approach for sure. So I actually think they're both rosterable. And I wouldn't have said that even two or three weeks ago about Lester or Jake Woodford. Let's move on to the Rays. Shane Boz coming up to debut on Monday. He catches the Jays. Does get him at home, so it's exciting that we're going to see him uh, pitching you know, right away at a good spot. We're going to find out what he really has. It says a lot about the Rays that they trust him in that spot, I think. But the second start of the week, if he hangs around, would be a home start against the Marlins. You have to play it as though you might not get that second start. There's plenty of ways this can go sideways in terms of usage for Shane Boz, but what is your interest level in him based on some of the dominant numbers we've seen from him in the upper levels of the minor leagues? Yeah, this is such a tough one. And I think in a way it's similar to what I was saying about Lester, which I know feels like a very weird comparison in terms of the type of pitchers they are, but just the uncertainty of knowing how Boz is going to respond in his first start, much less in a start against one of the most dangerous offenses in the major leagues. But I mean, there's a part of me that just believes in the minor league numbers and thinks he'll he'll be just fine. Uh, you know, he'll come up, you know, like uh, Alec Manoa did and just, you know, be great pretty much from the get-go. So I think it's, it is, to get back, I think it's a situation like Lester where if if I need to play it a little bit more conservatively to to keep it close or protect a lead, I'm probably not starting Boz this week, but in any other scenario, uh, I probably would start him. And actually, I was so intrigued by this that I put out a, a Twitter poll and ask people if they would start him in a 12-teamer. Because I think if you're talking deep leagues, uh, you, you can't pass up on Boz. But in a 12-teamer, would you go with him if he was just starting against the Blue Jays? It was 41% yes, 59% no. Which is, I think, about what I would have expected. Yeah, I think I'd be more on the yes side. If, I mean, unless I'm protecting ratios in a, in a big way. And I think in most of my situations, I'm chasing. So I'm in on Boz. If you have a little extra... Fab left, this would be a great pitcher to use it on because if it goes right, it could go very right. Uh, that that Marlins possible second start is really appealing. If he were to hang around for the last week of the season, a road trip to the Bronx might actually be next. But you know, if you want to see if Shane Boz is ready for the postseason, this is a way to do it. Throw him against the Jays, throw him against the Yankees, and, and see if you're in the Rays position, of course. Uh, looking at the Rangers, can I talk myself into a Rangers starter this week? Mm, no, I actually don't think I can. <laughs> uh, me neither. Maybe Taylor Hearn, because he's been he's been all right at Baltimore, and this is kind of like the reverse of the the Mariners situation, where you know the Mariners really you treat them differently on the road than at home. Uh, Orioles hit pretty well at home, and that's not you know super shocking given the nature of their lineup and the nature of their ballpark. So it's not a gimme with Taylor Hearn, but he's certainly within the the range of pitchers I'd think about. Yeah. Moving down to the Jays, these are all rostered pitchers. You're not going to find any of those five starters available in most leagues. If Steven Matz is somehow out there in a shallow league, yeah, you could throw him against the Twins. No no hesitation whatsoever. Uh, moving on to the Nationals, not a lot I like down here either. I mean, you see Patrick Corbin still sitting with an ERA above six on the road against Cincinnati. That doesn't seem like a good get-well sort of spot for him. Uh, he goes to Colorado during the final week of the season too, which depending on how they handle their off day the last week, could be his last start of 2021. What a disappointing year for him. Uh, I would say of their two-start pitchers, I am not interested in either of them. Eric Fetty and Josh Rogers are the two guys taking the ball. At Miami is great. 
at Cincinnati really erases a lot of that. Uh, if I had to start one, it would actually be Fetty, even though Rodgers has better results in limited action in the big leagues this year because Rodgers has been brutal in the upper levels of the minor leagues going back over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, now Fetty's been been pretty good of late, so I think I'm going to give him a, a little bit more credit. But yeah, that, even so, that start at Cincinnati is really pretty scary. So, uh, you know, I, I did include him in the, the weekly next week in fantasy baseball column is, is one of the two start pitchers that you should be targeting. I think I probably like Lester a little better. So I think that probably puts it in perspective. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's talk about some bats. Let's get to Willie Calhoun if you're watching us on YouTube. Thank you for joining us live. Uh, throw the Fangraphs page up on the screen. We're talking about a few hitters just because it's fun to have something visual to look at. Uh, Willie Calhoun is finally healthy again. Of course, the Rangers are going to play him a lot. And this is another really kind of lost season for him. He's going to finish somewhere around like 70 games played, just under 300 played appearances. We haven't seen power when he's been healthy, but we've seen more of the same. We've seen a low K rate. We've actually seen more walks than ever before. And he's still hitting the ball in the air enough where I have some hope that there will be some power in the long run. Uh, where are you at in Willie Calhoun as a, a stretch run ad here? Again, looking back at the schedule, it's a seven-game week, and it's all in hitter-friendly environments with the Rangers going on the road to face the Yankees and the Orioles. Unfortunately, there are five lefties on that schedule. Yeah, which, by the way, makes me sort of interested in Charlie Culberson, even though he's barely played, but he's barely played because the Rangers have been seeing all righties. But he has typically started uh, against all lefties and hits them really well. So it's kind of the inverse situation there. But yeah, for Calhoun, just because of the schedule, if no other reason... Uh, I'm, I'm taking a pass on him this week and, uh, you know, maybe for the final week of the season, especially if he, you know, plays a few games and, and shows uh, some signs of life in those games, then, uh, can revisit this in a week. I wonder if Willie Calhoun has a regular role on the 2022 Rangers or on any team for that matter, right? I mean, if he's a, a non-tender candidate or just someone that they decide to trade in a minor deal, like does he play at least on the big side of platoon somewhere next season? Uh, it's not clear to me. Not clear to me that he will. Uh, they've been pretty, you know, pretty liberal about giving the the younger players, which it feels weird because to me Calhoun sort of still is a younger player, but you know, even even younger players, a uh, bit of a look this year. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he were traded in the off season. He'll turn twenty seven in November. It's hard hard to believe uh, yeah. with Willie Calhoun. It just has not worked out yet. A lot of it has been health related for him. 
Uh, Jake Fraley is back in the fold for Seattle. He's been interesting to me all season just because of the power-speed combo. Uh, he draws plenty of walks. I mean, if you're, again, watching us on YouTube, how about a 17.6% walk rate this season? A 352 OBP, only a 212 average. So if you're in a traditional league using that category, that is one drawback. But now that he's back in the fold, he's been on basically a 2020 pace with the power and speed. So I'm kind of in on Fraley where I'm looking for outfield help. I am too. And just to give a, a real life fantasy perspective on this, my Tout Wars team, which is 12 teams, OBP as a, as a category. I've got both Calhoun and Fraley coming off of the IL. And um, I, I'm going to try to find a room, uh, find a, a slot to use uh, Fraley, whereas Calhoun will either go to the bench or, or maybe to waivers. Yeah, I think with Fraley, the matchups are a little better this week. Not quite as many lefties on tap in the Mariners schedule as we saw with the Rangers facing the Yankees and the Orioles. So that bodes well as well. Uh, Jose Siri is the other player that I think people are sort of curious about in the outfield this week. I've been writing him off because the numbers in the upper levels, the minors, as I looked at those previously, I just wasn't excited. It seemed like double a took him a long time to figure that level out. Wasn't a lot of power there in 2019 was kind of miserable when he debuted at triple a, but he's been good, you know, Everywhere he's played this year, which has been, I think, Round Rock and in Houston. Should I give Jose Siri another look, or am I looking at this and saying, hey, look, the Ks are just going to be there no matter what. This this has Adelis Garcia appeal if everything goes right, and the downside of Adelis Garcia if it doesn't. Well, you know, since we're talking about a week or two here, um, I'm not as worried about the the deficiencies in the skill set here with, with Jose Siri. It's really more about opportunity. And if Michael Brantley weren't possibly coming back in the earlier part of this week, I would consider Siri because he could pick up, he's already picked up a few steals and, and he could pick up a few more in the next week or two. But I just think that opportunities are likely to be pretty limited for him. So I did pick him up in ale only. I will start him there. Mixed leagues. I'd really, first of all, really need help with steals and really, have no other reasonable options. Yeah, I, I think we are at the point in the season where you're not really worried about someone striking out 35% of the time the way you would be back in April or May. So yeah. it's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Lewin Diaz is another hitter that I think is somewhat interesting. He's, of course, a Marlins option. First base eligible player. I searched Marlins in the Fangraphs window. Awesome. That's, that, that's, <laughs> that's how my brain works. When well, I'm, uh, welcome to late September. <laughs> yeah, welcome to uh, not even 8 a.m. yet on the West Coast and zero coffee in, in me right now. But uh, looking at him, I mean, I, I thought he was going to do more when he debuted last year. I thought he would even show us a little more power, more more power at least at the upper levels of the minor leagues. But then I'm looking at it, it's like on a per-game basis, the power was good. It was all split up because of the time he spent in Minnesota and Miami back in that 2019 season, hit 14 home runs at double A over about 64 games that year, popped 20 in 74 games this year. I think that's with triple A in New Orleans. So a very hitter friendly situation there. Uh, but I'm looking at Lewin Diaz and wondering, is it ever going to come together for him at the big league level? Because he hasn't walked in the limited times he's been in the minors or in the majors. And I think that's a sign that strike zone judgment might be a, a little bit behind where we'd expect it to be given some of the great K rates he was posting on his way to the big leagues. 
Yeah, you know, maybe he turns out to be uh, sort of like the guy that he's replacing right now, Jesus Aguilar, although uh, probably not the same batting average upside. But I, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what he does the next couple of weeks because I, I have loved the power potential uh, for Diaz. Uh, deep league option here, uh, obviously, but I'd say more definitely more appeal to me than, uh, than Jose Siri, just because the playing time is definitely going to be there for Diaz. So especially if you have a categorical need for home runs and RBIs, uh, it could certainly do worse. Yeah, the Brantley factor for Siri is kind of looming in the background. They want to get him back, get him some reps before the postseason. Uh, there's one other page that I threw on the screen last week. I got it up again right now. I always look at the roster trends page on CBS just to see Who's moving? Like who's actually getting picked up? Who who's actually out there in a lot of leagues? And and what are people doing in leagues with daily moves? You can see Austin Hayes, a lot of interest in him. I think in shallow leagues, he continues to play enough where I'm kind of in. Love that they're home all week too. I think that bodes really well if you're just trying to stream a hitter for the second to last week of the season. You mentioned the Nats offense a little earlier. I talked about him briefly on last week's show. Lane Thomas. I I think this is kind of real. I think he's one of the one of the Nats getting a chance right now who I think could actually be hanging around and making some sort of fantasy impact you know, next season rather unexpectedly. Yeah, I, I just I loved this move for Lane Thomas. I was so disappointed in the early weeks uh, after the trade that he wasn't playing this much as it, like he's playing now, but now he's getting the opportunity and doing the things that we thought maybe he could have done in St. Louis if given more of an opportunity. So I'm, I'm with you 100% on this DVR. I think... Uh, you know, Thomas uh, is really auditioning quite nicely for a regular role next year. And the numbers at AAA this year weren't off the charts good, but he was an above-average player offensively at that level. That was the case at past trips that level. And he's shown power and speed, too. So I think there's just a lot of ways that he could end up being valuable for us in the fantasy community. Uh, you scroll through a few more of these hitters that are out there a good number of places. Still surprised Lamont Wade sitting at 21% rostered on CBS. He's wow played really well when he's had opportunities. He doesn't play much against lefties, but a really nice player that they have been able to use as kind of a, a glue guy on that roster so far this season. Lorenzo Kane is another outfield option. It seems like there's a ton of outfielders out there right now that are getting playing time. A little banged up, but he's yeah. played pretty well over the last few weeks. Finally, looks like he's in the broader sense, healthy. Again, I say that with the little injury flag on him right now, but yeah. he's, he, he's looked hobbled for the better part of 2019 and 2021. And I think to see him healthy in September, it's, it's a nice sign because when he's healthy, he does a little bit of everything for us. He can hit for a good average, has a little bit of pop, can still steal some bases because of his defense. He'll play quite a bit. Plus, Avi Garcia has been banged up too, so they're a little thinner in the outfield. Jackie Bradley Jr. has not come around as a bat at all, so I think they kind of want a lot of Lorenzo Cain in that lineup down the stretch into the postseason. Yeah, just got to see if he's going to be healthy enough to play this week, but a uh, good option if, uh, if you got the room for him. Were there any other bats that have caught your eye as you've been looking to uh, fill spots on your teams uh, this weekend, Al? Well, like I say, I mentioned Culberson. I really do think that he's he's somebody to consider. I, it makes me a little nervous that he hasn't played much. And again, he, you know, against the righty-heavy schedule, he wasn't going to do that. But I don't know if maybe the Rangers are going to change course and all of a sudden stop playing <laughs> Culberson against lefties. But I think in a, in a deep league, if you've got roster room, uh, I, I think it's you know it's a gamble worth uh, worth taking. And you know, really, other than that, Gavin Sheets. Uh, White Sox have a nice schedule this week. Gavin Sheets has all kinds of playing time ahead of him. Larry Garcia has really hit well lately too. So I, I like both Garcia and Sheets uh, this week, uh, certainly in any 
any league that's got more than 12 teams and maybe even consider them in 12 teamers depending on uh you know where where you have needs so i think those are the the three hitters that really stand out for me right now yeah we're seeing pretty good hard contact from gavin sheets 47.4 percent hard hit rate 10.5 percent barrel rate so i do like what we're getting from him in the chances he's had to play for a guy hitting in the big leagues for the first time this season keeping the k rate under 25 percent that gets me kind of excited about the future too uh, i don't really know how much they can play him long term. He seems like a guy that doesn't fit particularly well on their roster, but you never know. If they like what he's doing in the outfield enough to keep him in the mix there, maybe he's kind of a fourth outfielder, extra first base DH type that they can mix and match in there a few times per week. But on a per-game basis, he has been pretty solid for the White Sox so far. So I think that's a, a very good call. Hopefully, this uh, whole exercise has been helpful again this week. We realize late September, it's very difficult to offer blanket waiver advice. Everybody's situation varies so much. What exactly you're looking for, uh, the good players that have been dropped, that changes so much from uh, week to week. Got a question here from MVP Nacho. Any update on Ahmed Rosario? Hmm. Let's see if we can pull up one of those. I always find this time of year strange, Al, because every time I open up a league, I have a player who pops up who I don't even expect to see on the wire, and mm-hmm. yeah. it, it just throws me off. Yeah, it's you really have to be kind of uh, uh, vigilant about it because uh, it surprises me every year. <laughs> There's always somebody I miss out on, maybe because I wasn't paying enough attention. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, definitely a, a hallmark of these last few weeks. So with Rosario, he went on the bereavement list on Wednesday. I think at this point, it's, it's usually it's three to seven days, so maybe there's a chance he's back to begin the week. But obviously, in a situation like that, we just we never know for sure. So probably a better chance than not that he could be back early on this week for Cleveland. Another Cleveland question. This one comes from Keith seventy five Monty Bradley Zimmer this week. I. I feel like I'm always wrong about Bradley Zimmer. (laughs) Uh, I know our friend Ian Kahn has been on him really all season. Quietly 13 steals now, over 85 games, popped seven home runs. You look at the more recent body of work, it's still still inconsistent, right? Just the slash line isn't where you'd like it to be, even over the last couple of weeks. A lot of DNPs on the screen, too, uh, because they don't want to play him against lefties. So he's a very schedule-dependent player. Their schedule this week, because of doubleheaders, is a little more full. Uh, they do see, it looks like, three lefties out of the eight games, and then those are all in nine-inning games, whereas the righties are all loaded up in those doubleheaders. So I think Zimmer is playable this week. It's just more of a average doesn't matter, and I'm hoping to squeeze out a few steals sort of play if you're going to throw them out there. Yeah, and I realize the availability is probably uh, not as good as it is for for Jose Siri, but I, I you know I'm thinking of that comparison in terms of categorical need. So yeah, if batting averages somewhere where you have a chance to catch up, uh, maybe a, a spot or two in the standings, I, I think there's enough risk here that you can probably find a, a better option. But yeah, if you need steals, certainly uh, I don't see much risk at all. I like that Siri comp. Yeah, if you look at Houston's schedule, it is one, two, three, four, five righties out of seven games for them. So we could see a good amount of Jose Siri depending on the return of Michael Brantley. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast on Twitter. You can find Al at Al BB. You can find me 
at Derek Van Riper. If you do not have a subscription to The Athletic, you should get one. They're 50% off at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. For El Melchior, I'm Derek Van Riper. We are back with Under the Radar on Tuesday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.